I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Today, we sit down with Ziana McIntyre. Ziana retired at a very young age using a small portfolio of Airbnb rentals. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Our guest today is Ziana McIntyre. Ziana is currently earning ten dollars to $15,000 a month from a portfolio of vacation rental properties and her co-hosting service for other short-term rental property owners. All this has afforded Ziana financial independence at a very young age, as she built her operation largely by piggybacking on the growing popularity of Airbnb. With a small team, some smart decisions, and some online tools, Ziana now manages her business from home in Boulder, Colorado, relatively hands-off. Diana, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Of course. It's great to have you. Um, and you are, Brittany and I, are, have, as we have talked about, we are short-term rental people as well, but you have obviously gone uh, much larger. Uh, can you tell us the story about how you got into real estate? Yeah, so it's interesting. I always thought Airbnb would just be like a side gig. Like It was just like a little side hustle that I was going to do for a minute to kind of get me th- through massage school. And so I never really considered that it would be my road to real estate, but I always loved real estate. I've always been super passionate about homes. And every time I go to someone's house, I want to see everything. I even thought that maybe I'd become a real estate agent at some point. It just proves that life does not pan out the way that you think sometimes. But yeah, for me, I just heard about Airbnb from a friend and it was back in the early days, back like 2011 when my friend started. And he had just heard about it because he was laid off and he wanted to go travel. And he had lived in New York and his apartment was $3,000 a month or something crazy. And he thought, there's no way I can keep my apartment that I'm locked into a lease with and travel and, you know, be able to afford that lifestyle. So he found out about the website and then it was just a huge success for him. He told me that he made $50,000 on his apartment that he didn't even own, (laughs) you know. And at the time... I was a student and I was working almost minimum wage and I just kind of, I'd never even seen $50,000, you know, like that was like a salary that only successful people had. Like I couldn't even imagine it. So it really made me go, okay, you know, he's been telling me I should do this. I should do this. Maybe I should do this. (laughs) So yeah, I started very easily. Like I think the great thing about Airbnb is it can also be just like a very simple, non-committal thing. You know, you just take some photos of a bedroom in your house and then just put that up. And that's kind of how I did it. I had a spare room and I took some photos, put it up and just waited and people came. And from there it grew, you know. So um, I found it to be so successful that I was renting my room. I was renting the spare room. And then eventually I spent a few years living between two different apartments. And it was just like, whenever someone rented it, I was out. And it wasn't as popular back then. A lot of people didn't know what I was talking about. And so I was able to live that way. Nowadays in Boulder, if it's busy season, 
you're out. Like there, there's not a free day in the calendar for a month. Um, so I wouldn't have been able to do it back then uh, like that. Now I've grown it to owning six properties and I manage probably another 15 all over the country. And yeah, it's worked out to be really successful for me. And I feel like it's such an easy business model that it's a great way for people to get into real estate if it's something they want to try. And did you start in Boulder? I started in Boulder. Yeah. And did you, um, was it a, uh, was it a, a home or apartment that you owned or uh, were you someone? So back in the day, yeah, it kind of just seemed like, I mean, that was what my friend had done, right? He lived in New York City, so there was a ton more traffic. And I thought, ooh, little old Boulder, is it going to do anything? Um, But it did, and it started very slowly. But yeah, for me, I was just renting an apartment. I mean, I was a total broke college student in debt, and it really changed my whole life. So although I wouldn't recommend doing it the same way that I did back then without telling your landlord or anything, I think you couldn't get away with it the same way now because everybody knows what it is. But you can still find landlords that are really friendly to the idea. And, um, you, you know, you don't necessarily have to own a place to make good money off of it, which is kind of what I do when I'm managing a ton of other people's properties. And that's an easy way to get into it. Yeah. So the management, that's the co-hosting thing that mm-hmm. Airbnb has? Yeah. Uh, and then where did you go from uh, Boulder? Um, well, Boulder is kind of where I was doing my own places for a while. And I ended up buying a condo here and kept doing another rental unit. I kind of just was back and forth. I even started renting my other friends' places out here in Boulder because a lot of people knew of me and knew that that was something I'd been doing a long time. Um, But from Boulder, I ended up buying a place in St. Louis. I have a really good girlfriend who lives out there, and I ended up going out for her wedding and just kind of realized how affordable it was. And I bought there maybe three or four years ago, and the prices are a little bit different now, but still hugely affordable. And... um, Going from Boulder, where one of my rental apartments was like 1100 a month, people were saying that they had a three-bedroom house that they owned and their mortgage was $300. And I just thought, $300? I mean, okay. <laughs> like, that's like two or three nights of renting. If it doesn't work out, like, I have the whole other month. Like, there's no way to lose. Like, I couldn't see it not working. And I turned out to be right. I think it was also a lot of luck, you know? <laughs> And all of your, are pretty much all of your, are you all in on the St. Louis market now or are you, have you diversified a little bit? So I own one here in Boulder. I own four in St. Louis and then one in Colorado Springs, which is um, probably an hour and a half from here in Boulder. Um, but I manage in New York and Seattle and Atlanta and just kind of all over. So you don't have to be nearby to make it work. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> So what is, or maybe you've already gotten there, but what's your, your destination? Um, where is real estate taking you? Maybe where yeah, that's like a really interesting question. So my big interest um, in real estate came out of wanting to be early retired and have this financial freedom thing down. Um, and my kind of goal was to do that by 30. And so I think I started Airbnb around 26 or something like that. And so there was no, I had no idea how I was going to make it happen, but I knew that that was what I wanted to do. And so that kind of curved out this goal of just getting to a certain point. And I'm 
I'm well beyond that point now. And so I kind of go back and forth with this wrestling in my mind of, do I just build to build? Because that's kind of what society tells us to do. It's like bigger, bigger, grow. Um, or do I just like chill out and like travel and let my investments do their thing? So it's, it's a tough question. I don't, ex I don't exactly have the perfect answer for you. But I think that what's been happening naturally is that I, I like to get at least a house a year. And so that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of an addiction. <laughs> I have to say it's a little dangerous. You know, it's funny uh, in the in the more traditional buy and hold market, they often talk about, well, you want to buy, you know, buy one house a year and it'll cash flow, you know, $100, $200 a month. But obviously with, and so it would take you a very, very long time to build up a portfolio of single family homes that's going to allow you to retire early, but it's obviously much different with Airbnb. Yeah, uh, I know that was kind of one of the things that's always turned me off about um, traditional real estate and just doing long-term rentals is that to replace an income of like 75,000, you'd need like 12 to 15 properties. And if it's only cash flowing, $300 a month, like the moment you have one big repair, you're out months and months of income. And that just doesn't really make sense. And I, I get it that that's some, some markets, that's all you're going to get. But I love that Airbnb gives you so much more. I mean, most of my places are cash flowing at least a thousand in the slow months and maybe up to 2000 in profit each month. And that's one place, you know? So if you were a really frugal person, you could live off of one. And I hear those stories from people all the time. You know, they live in their van and travel around or they live in Asia most of the year and then just live off of one place. And that's like unheard of. So it's really changed the market for us as investors. Well, can you uh, walk us through how you uh, went about getting yourself educated on doing this? I think it's kind of just learn by doing. Yeah. I mean, there's no real, I mean, I guess people probably sell courses out there now and I'm, I have a blog and, you know, there's definitely a lot of information out there. There are a few books on the subject, but it's really kind of learning by doing. I would be the first to say that Airbnb is not rocket science, but if you wanted to get down to the nitty gritties of making it really successful, you can learn more about adjusting things to have better SEO and, you know, more clicks and just different stuff that make people actually buy. And so you can refine things to make a better product. If you're talking about how to find properties, we can talk a little bit about that. That's like something that I found that was unique to what my needs are. And I think real estate is such a broad thing that people can make it work in almost any little niche. And it's just kind of figuring out what fits your style or taste or interest. So it's kind of cool that there's something for everyone. Well, let's talk about that for a second because how, you know, I know how to, evaluate a single family home as a rental yeah. property, as a long-term rental property. But how do you go about uh, evaluating whether or not a property is an opportunity? Yeah. So, I mean, I look at a lot of different things. If I hear that somebody says, oh, this part of town is really cool. Um, like I was just in Reno, for example, and people have been telling me, oh, Reno is like Denver 20 years ago. And, you know, Denver, Boulder, this whole area is very expensive now. Um, like a home that I would want to own and live in in Boulder is probably a million dollars. And I'm just, you know, I could do that, but I don't think it's a good investment and I don't want to do that. So I'm not. Um, so in Reno, I was looking around and, 
you know, they were telling me there's these two main areas that are great, like a midtown section and a little bit south of that. And so I was like, okay, cool. Let me just pull up Redfin. That's like my favorite real estate um, website because Redfin is very close to the MLS. I feel like they have a lot of really good information and it's up to date. Zillow and Trulia, I find that sometimes, you know, something's been sold you know, a year ago and you don't have the right information there. So I don't love it. But yeah. So that was the first thing is I do some trolling around of like, okay, are there, you know, multifamilies that make sense? How much is an average home? I love the idea of being somewhere like walkable and hip because I think when people come to town, they want to go to the restaurants, like what's bringing them there. So I'm looking for big colleges, like 14,000 or more. I'm looking for hospitals. People travel for things like that. And then like just venues and, and like what brings someone to an area. So I was kind of scanning those sorts of things. And then when I get an idea of like, okay, so the average house is 400000 For me, that's a little bit expensive. It doesn't seem like a deal, you know, right off the market. And so I'm thinking, okay, what's that mortgage going to be? It's going to be somewhere around like 2000 or 2500 or something like that. And how much do I need to make to be able to cover that? So then I pull up Airbnb and I like to see in that area because they've got a really cool map feature. You can put it in an exact address or you can just kind of look in the area based on, you know, Google Maps side to side and just see what are people renting for. And I don't know that I went that far in Reno. I think I was just kind of like, eh, I'm not in love with it. If you do look around, you can see like, okay, maybe people charge, do they charge $75 a night, which would be a really close call because you're only really going to bank on maybe 15 to 20 nights a month. Um, and so if it's $75, it doesn't really make sense. If it's $275, then you go, oh, okay, well, maybe I can make this work. I don't think that market was super expensive, especially because they have tons of cheap hotels. Yeah. We ended up staying in a hotel that was like $39 a night or whatever. And we had a deal. Yeah. So when there's a market like that, that's kind of flooded with other options, it's a little bit dicey. But yeah, so those are the kinds of things. There's so many uh, resources online that you don't have to be in the place. I just so happened to be in Reno at the time that I was looking, but it didn't matter because all you could just zoom in to different neighborhoods. Trulia has really cool crime maps. So when I'm looking in like St. Louis, which can be more selective on streets, I can see street to street, which street feels safer than others. And it's not perfect, but it helps give you an idea. So I do a lot of that kind of research, learning about different neighborhoods and, and all that. Mm. I don't know if that fully answers your question. No, that's great. I mean, it's, I, um, I, I went to the University of Nevada in Reno. Uh, so oh, okay, cool. That's funny. Yeah. So you know it intimately. Yes, yes. and we actually, w- w- that's one of, one of the markets we would love to own in, but yeah. it's gotten so expensive. Uh, it's actually the median home prices are actually higher, substantially higher than Las Vegas. And the Las Vegas market is very hot. Um, Yeah. It's tough. I mean, if you could find a deal, it would work, but, but it's an expensive market. It's a cool town and it's getting cooler. It's getting sort of that, uh, a lot of, um, we're saying major segue here. Uh, It's getting a lot of the Silicon Valley overflow. A lot of, a lot of tech companies went in there because they can't afford to pay their employees to live in the Silicon Valley. It's one of those things where it might be, it might not be great right now, but if we could find the right property, it'd be good. Oh, it'd be later. Sorry. Hi, <laughs> microphone. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's hard because I think we're kind of in this cusp of maybe the market could fall in a bit. I have heard rumblings of like, 
2019 to 2022, there might be a little dip and it's hard to know what would cause that. You know, it might just be a stock market crash or something like that. So if it's not housing specific, like it was in 2008, maybe it won't drop housing pricing that much. But I am less likely to buy something now that I don't think is a slam dunk. And that to me didn't seem like one. It could work. And if you found the right fixer upper and you're doing all that kinds of digging, sure. But that's generally not how I'm buying because I want a place ready to go, all fixed up, looking cute, and I just go in and furnish it. So you're really not, you're not doing any renovations typically or any kind of... I don't like to, especially if I'm going into uh, a whole new market that I don't know super well. It's, it takes a while to build those crews and people that you can really trust. And renovations can go haywire and be very expensive. So it's not an area that I'm an expert in. And I just don't really go that way if I don't need to. So obviously your first time with Airbnb, you were renting, but eventually you did start to buy your properties. How did you go about financing your first purchases? And, and how much of your own money did, did you use all your own money? Or are you um, leveraging other people's money? So now I leverage people's money in general, but back then the very first one, I got a private loan from a friend. So I had um, a former landlord who was just like, he owned probably 17 properties or something like that. And so he was kind of this person that I was like, Ooh, I could probably learn from him. Let me see. And I, I pitched it to him and he seemed to be on board and maybe just because we were friends and whatnot. Um, but he worked out a good deal with me and that kind of worked in my favor. And that place has really worked out. It just so happens, I felt like it was really expensive at the time, but it was right before Boulder did a big boom. And so within the year that I bought it, it went up like 18%. And so it made it so that it was really easy um, to kind of, I paid him back early and just um, figured it out. Like it was just a really good opportunity that doesn't always happen for everyone. But for me, I was able to pull out the equity to pay my loan back pretty quick. And he ended up turning around and giving me a loan for my next property, um, which was significantly less. But um, yeah, then, I've done some private loans and I've done some kind of splits with friends. And then I've done some now where a partner gets a mortgage and then we just split the down payment. So you can kind of be creative in financing. And you, um, do you ever have any issue with getting financing from a bank um, where you're telling them it's a short-term rental? So I've never gotten financing from a bank because I'm just not the type of person that likes to do things the traditional way. And so I've been working for myself now for six years or something like that. And that doesn't look as friendly to banks as someone who can come in with a W-2 and say, hey, I have the same amount of money every single month and I'm very predictable. For me, I have a bank account for every single house and for my management business. And it's just like tons of accounting. So I can bring them my tax returns, but they don't like it because every year it's different. And I can't tell you from month to month. Um, It's generally going up, which I think is positive. But because of that, I've just not even tried and I found easier ways. Um, with the St. Louis properties, they're all under 100000 So it was kind of easy. I bought one just cash. I bought one with home equity line of credit, essentially. And I bought two with like friends cash. It, it just, that seemed easy. For the homes that are higher priced, like my last home was like 205 Um, That 
I had a friend get a mortgage and then we just kind of split it. But I'm the one who does all the work. So it's a really good deal for him because he doesn't even need to know anything about real estate. Um, yeah. Gotcha. That's a really innovative way to bring in someone who wants to do some investing, but really doesn't want to, to really wants it to be passive. Um, yeah. So Which, you know, I don't think Airbnb really is. And that's the thing for a lot of people. Um, it's not a passive investment and that makes it less, uh, less positive. Yeah. We have a, we have a little one. Sorry. Uh, one moment for <laughs> one family break moment. So uh, we talked about that Airbnb really isn't passive. It does take time. Um, how much time do you spend on your business? Well, so the way I do it is really passive. When you build up to a certain amount of property, so if someone was interested in becoming like a co-host, you need at least three to five properties to kind of get on most of the uh, property management softwares. But once you're on those, they have a lot of features that make it really easy to automate. You can have automatic messages. You can have receptionists that are available 24 hours a day, which is what I do. My, my cleaners and whatnot are scheduled on their own. So as soon as someone books, it sends an automatic message to them. They schedule themselves. So there's a lot of things that happen that I don't need to be a part of. And the things that make my business more busy is the fact that I have a blog and I do podcasts and other things, mentorship and yeah. So those kinds of things are keeping my, my days fuller and my email box full. But it, that's kind of one of those things. It's like if I wanted to retire, I do have an operations manager that helps me with a, you know, Airbnb resolutions and guest issues and calling a plumber and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't have to be hugely time consuming. And so I think if someone, it is like a part-time job just because you need to be so available. That's the thing that can be hard and has been a sacrifice in my life is that I can be anywhere in the world, but I better have my phone turned on. And that can feel like a shackle. And so I think for someone who is working full-time and trying to get into it, you do need to know that you have like a, a part-time gig going on there. But if you're a stay-at-home mom and you have a lot of flexibility, that could be an awesome gig if it's somewhere around your town and you just kind of pop into houses here and there. If you're going to do under five, I would say maybe eight to 10 hours a week. But if you're just doing like one or two, I mean, it could be like an hour here and an hour there. I mean, it's not a lot of work, depending if you're cleaning it yourself and things like that. But yeah, um, if you outsource those things, it makes it pretty easy. I'm so happy now that we have a cleaner. Yeah. Because I was, you know, because I was at home. Yeah. It's, and I I was at home for, you know, the first, I don't, I don't remember when we started actually having a cleaner, but you know, I'm like, have a infant and trying to clean between guests and it was so stressful. Now, if there's any issue with the cleaner, I'm like, no, I don't (laughs) want to deal with it. Yeah, it's so it, much laundry, like all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. laundry we is probably, yeah, laundry. we still have the laundry. Um, uh, that's probably, I don't want to pay to send it out. It's honestly the probably yeah. the biggest, that's the biggest workload. Um, For on our, yeah, time-wise, yeah, on our end, the biggest workload would be laundry. And then <clears throat> I probably spend like 20 minutes in a week looking at like making sure that I know when people come in and maybe messaging them because for whatever reason, no one can look at their email to see that like Airbnb gave them the key code and stuff. (laughs) I don't understand. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, come on. (laughs) Um, But that's okay. So, you know, so I do my best to kind of 
preempt that and I'll just throw um, a pre-done message that we have that like, hey, here's the instructions. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely not like a huge amount of work, but it's also, you, you do, you have to be available. And, and that's, we've gotten screwed over a couple of times. Once or twice, yeah. When yeah, I, I mean, even just sleeping, you know, yeah. and sometimes people are so unreasonable about like, well, it was past midnight, everyone in the area is asleep. So like, <laughs> we weren't able to help you. But yeah, I think yeah. nowadays people have these expectations of it's like a 24-hour concierge, like a hotel, and it's, there's still a gap there. And I think there always will be, and that's part of the charm. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, a management software. What, uh, what's, can you give us a name? Yeah, I use Guesty. Um, at the time that I started, I kind of started when they were beta um, when I helped test. And that was a while ago, probably 2013 or 14. Um, so they were charging me 3% and I still kind of have the grandfathered rate. I think now it's five. Um, if you have receptionist and software, maybe it's half of it if it's just the software. Um, Guesty, I think you need to have three to five properties to start with. And I don't know if they're the best out there. Now they used to be kind of the only one. And now there are so many different software companies and just kind of Airbnb side businesses that have popped up everywhere that you can have so many different features. Um, so if I wasn't so ingrained in them, I, I might look around a little bit. I have heard really good things about Orbi rental. Um, so I definitely recommend them. I did a demo with them. I thought their technology was really cool. So it kind of depends. Um, but there are probably, I don't know, 50 different companies. So it's just a matter of staying on top of what's offered. Mm -hmm. And Sorry, just that. And that's the company that basically sends that automatic info to your cleaner. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And I mean, I think Orbi Rental would do that. I think most of them do that because that's just kind of a, it just gets triggered by a booking. So it's pretty easy to set up automatic things like that. Yeah. That's like basically yeah. where all of my time goes, mostly it, besides the laundry is, hey, Schedule. here's the, here is, here's where we're at. And then if for some reason I forget to let them know, then that's it's a problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned um, having sort of an operations uh, manager. Is there anyone else that you've hired, any other team members that you've hired? So, I mean, I kind of built like a cleaning company because I knew that was going to become a problem. So at first it was just someone in Boulder that I really thought she had a great eye and her cleans were great. And I pulled her inside and said, Hey, the guy's spending way too much time on the scheduling and, and training and hiring and firing. Would you be willing to just train people to do what you do and build a company? Like, have you ever thought of that? And she hadn't. Um, and so I kind of coached her a little bit and she's exploded. And now that I have so much confidence in her, we use her all over the country. And so she's slowly developing in all the markets that we have people in, which just like is so helpful to me because we were spending so much time on random Craigslist ads or paying companies like Mary Maids, trying to make them not just regular house cleaners, but Airbnb cleaners, which is a different animal. And so that part has been like much easier from that standpoint for us now. We mainly work with the one cleaning company. Now, I do have an operations manager that probably does 40 hours a month. And so she sort of works when she wants from her house kind of deal. But she's available a lot for emergencies. And that's just a, a girlfriend of mine who's just awesome and organized and it just worked out well. 
I had someone before her and yeah, I've been working out the kinks. The thing about this kind of business is there's not really like a, a manual for it. So there's been a lot of things that I just had to figure out and do wrong and then hire and train again, you know? So, but pretty much it's a two woman operation. I do maybe 20%, she does 80% and the rest is automated. So it's not a whole lot. Yeah. That's my story. Even at a large scale. I, we have a couple of other questions, but I kind of want to go off onto a tangent. Okay. Um, I, loud. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think that you know, we talk about a lot of other kinds of real estate. I think what makes Airbnb sort of interesting is some of the details in it. And I just, I don't, I don't know why, but I'm just curious if you like, what are some of the things that you feel like are really important for including in an Airbnb or making them run really well, besides obviously the systems and things like that. But I don't know. Like you talked about furnishing a little bit. You want to go maybe deeper into how you furnish things like that. Yeah. So recently uh, uh, there's companies now that are, they're um, furnishing Airbnbs for people, you know? So I sat in on a call for a client and listened to them talk and i learned a lot through them and then just from my own experience, but I have been finding that a king bed is a big attraction for a lot of people people that are taller, people that are bigger, they want a bigger bed. And I always kind of thought queens were good enough. And it really has shown me that that is something that's a little bit better. And so if you have the option in the space, a king bed's nice because the other furniture is not as important. I always like having two end tables, two lamps. People joke all the time that I love lamps and I love like fuzzy things and whatnot, but I'm trying to get colors and textures in a space that doesn't have too much in it. You know, so I don't think you need a dresser if you have a closet that's usually enough. Um, I usually like to get those cool little luggage racks that they have in hotels oftentimes. So people can put their luggage up high if they're only there a couple days. They don't necessarily unpack everything. But yeah, I like to have art. I think color is really important because you want something that's going to catch someone's eye in a photo. And it might not be their style in particular, but they want to try it on. So people like things like, oh, this is the Western house and this is a Mad Men house and this has kind of a feel. So I have a beachy place and, you know, I just, I like to take on themes and, and have a little fun with it. And so I use a lot of prints and I use a lot of color and I, I think the photos are very important. And so investing in good photos and updating them is totally something that gets you the clicks and gets you booked. So yeah, you want the things in the photos to be interesting. And I think I grew up a lot with Airbnb. And when I first started, I was a college student and I had it kind of like bare bones, dormy and cheap. But I think that people are getting more sophisticated in this realm and they're expecting more. And I still see those listings from time to time that look just way too Ikea basic. And I just think people are doing a disservice to themselves. You know, it's like, I get it. You want it to be affordable, but Craigslist has amazing pieces that are really cheap and you just need to put a little more effort to make it yeah. unique. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think you have to spend a ton. It doesn't all have to be brand new, but you've got to make it be more quality. And I have actually found over time that I'm getting more of an eye of like, okay, that, that couch is going to last a year or this couch seems like a little more firm and it's not going to get beat up. Because people are hard on, on pieces, especially when you're trying to sleep 
the most people possible in a space. If someone's going to sleep on the couch, sometimes it's just getting a lot of use. Yeah. Are you doing sleeper couches? What is our favorite thing now? Yeah. So Ikea has a couple of couches that, and, and there are different brands, but they're not exactly like a sleeper couch where it folds out in three, but they kind of like lift up to be like a flatter surface. So there are a couple of those that I like that are actually comfortable. What's hard is that you want to create more sleep spaces, but you don't want it to be uncomfortable. I love trundle beds, the beds that are like a single and then on the bottom it pulls out and then it could be like a king bed. Those seem to work out well. A lot of futon styles are too thin and not very comfortable. People don't usually like air beds. So it is a little bit tricky. Yeah, I mean, the latest thing that I've learned is that if you can sleep 10 or more people in a space, you've got a corner on the market that most people can't compete with. So if you've got big enough bedrooms, don't be thinking, oh, cool, I'm going to just have one big bed. Can you get two queen beds in there? Or can you get um, a bunk bed that has a double on the bottom and a top and then a double bed or, you know, something? Think about a hotel that's maximizing the sleep spaces. So it's definitely not all about having like a a big credenza and some fancy furniture or a desk in there. It's like get the sleepers in. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, Because people typically aren't going to be like working it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do, but they, they can work from the dining table and that's what they usually do or an Eden Island or something like that. You know? How much are you typically spending to furnish like a basic, maybe like a two bedroom or something, you know? I don't know I'm usually for. around, I would say like $4,000 is probably around the minimum. Um, so yeah, I did a one bedroom. Yeah, it was about that. It was like a one bedroom and a basement. So it ended up being kind of like a two bedroom, one bath. And yeah, it's always kind of around 4000 I think if you're adding more bedrooms beyond two, maybe you could say another 500 to to 1000 a bedroom. But yeah, I get used beds from Craigslist. I just roll around on it and make sure it's good and I get brand (laughs) names and I'm particular about things, but you can find great stuff that, you know, somebody just bought and they're moving or it was in the guest room. No one ever slept on it kind of stuff. So it's just finding the deals, but Mm. I don't think you need to spend a thousand dollars on a bet. No. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously you, you invest long distance. Um, How often uh, would you say that you visit your properties? I'm stealing your question again. I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, yeah. So I probably go about a, every year and a half. I like aim to go every year and that doesn't quite work out. And when I go, like I just went to St. Louis um, in July and I, yeah, I had to replace a bunch of furniture and I thought, oh, you know, it's just going to be like one couch at one house and a couple of pieces of art that I didn't get the last time I was there. Oh my God, it ended up being like three couches. It's four houses. So there's all kinds of different things. So I was just with the U-Haul truck for like nine days, just all by myself making it happen. Mm. And I have some friends locally, but I think the thing people should realize when they get partners in this, these businesses and real estate, it's like, it's usually you, you know, people, everybody wants to make money. Everybody wants to buy a house, but when it comes down to doing any of the work, it's on you. So make sure that you're okay with that, you know, but yeah, it is nice that I don't have to go very often. Yeah. Are yeah. you going to kind of stick just with the States? Or are you, I mean, we talked, we kind of like touched on what your, your future goals are. I mean, do you want to invest anywhere else in the world? 
Yeah, so I manage a place in Spain. We had one in um, Cape Town and South Africa for a bit, and we had a boat in Greece. The, the boat didn't quite work out. I just don't think Airbnb has that market. There are, I mean, they rent the boat a ton through like different captain sites. You know, it's just a different thing. The South Africa thing just seemed to be culturally too hard, unfortunately. I mean, it's like a place that I love and just so dearly, but person didn't have a lot of resources nearby and we had a lot of issues with cleaners and it just didn't work out long term. But yeah, I mean the Spain one works well. I, I do hear from people all the time that are in different markets and they love it. I personally am just a little bit concerned about not having contracts in my language and whatnot. I mean mm-hmm. obviously if it's in South Africa it's not a big deal, but um, the, there are a lot of places like Spanish speaking countries that people are loving right now. But I just feel a little bit like, I don't know the rules. I don't know the game there. What if things change on me? Um, I don't want to buy a hundred year lease or something like that. So it hasn't fallen into place, but if I felt like really into it, I would do it. I just think the, the fantasy people have with those kind of homes is like, Oh, I'm going to buy this like vacation place that I love to go to. And it's going to be my favorite place. I think that's such an illusion because you're only going to be there a very, very small percentage of the time and you don't want to go to the same place every single year. So it's way better just to rent it and buy a house in the middle of nowhere, USA, that makes a ton of money. Like that's what I'm doing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Then you can just fund your trip and rent someone else's vacation rental. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Okay. So what do you think is like the most critical skill that someone would need to to have to thrive in this niche? Hmm. I mean, I think you need to be really creative and like flexible, you know, because even today I thought, oh, I know what I'm doing today. I've got Comcast coming in a window to fix some internet at one of my like high-end places nearby. And that didn't happen at all. <laughs> and so it's just like, sometimes yeah, you've just got to be like more available and, and think on your feet and change your plans and, and all that kind of stuff. So being okay with that. And I think you have to have a little bit of a thick skin. Unlike being a long-term landlord, people have more say about your property. Um, when you rent a place once a year, people walk through it if they don't like it too bad. If they like it, you know, you can fix some things, but that's kind of, you get what you see. With an Airbnb, everything is subject to someone's like personal opinion and you're a slave to the reviews, which is pretty sad, but it's become that way. So I know a ton of people that don't ever ask for damage money back and don't ever fight guests because they're scared to death. And I don't do that at all. Um, I think we need to stand up for what's right as a host and protect ourselves because we're the ones putting ourselves out on a limb. So that is a little bit hard and it's uh, something you kind of need to develop to be able to, you know, read it and see what can I take away from this that's constructive? What can I learn and grow my business from? And what's just like mean because something more terrible and yeah. it's not that harm, but it's sadly true. Yeah. We, we learned that the yeah. hard way. We had some college uh, two men, boys, I'm going to call them boys because they don't deserve to be called men. <laughs> they, um, they use our, our, um, casita as a stopgap. They had some kind of internship or something they were doing here and they had a cat and we allow dogs, but 
they didn't tell us they even had a cat. And we walked into the place and the cat had sprayed all over. For two weeks. For, yeah, they were there for two weeks. And, um, and they tried to, to say that they didn't have one. And we actually were able to find the cat peeking through the sliding glass, like, curtains on the video camera that um, we have, you know, security cameras that happen to also cover that area. And I was like, I see it because they literally carried it in, in a box. They had, they carried this giant box in between the two of them that were like, that must be the cat in a crate in there because it was, it was crazy. And, you know, they fought us on it and we really didn't get what no, we we no. probably deserved, we were out of, we but were out we of business. It. We were out of business for a month, just trying to just get yeah. the smell and you know, and that's thousand, that's that's a thousand dollars at least right there. But well, but and are really, you guys insured? Really that's and, and another question that people are talking about a lot these days is mm-hmm. Airbnb. They are way less generous um, than they used to be. You know, I think so often they side with the guests and not the hosts. Um, or you get a very small percentage of what you're claiming for. And so I think it's becoming more and more important for people to look into insurances. Um, and there's a lot of new products coming out. And that's something that's kind of on my list to, to do more research about. But there is a company called Slice that you might want to look up. Um, and you pay for the insurance per day that you're actually booked. So if you're only booked seven days that month, you're only paying those seven days. But their rate ends up being higher because, you know, you're paying selectively rather than someone that you're paying every single month or once a year. Um, But I've heard just great stories. There was a guy here in Denver that had a meth guy in his home smoking meth and the whole house had to be like down to the studs. And he owned it. Luckily, it wasn't like a rental because that would have been crazy. But um, they paid for everything. They paid for his time lost as a renter and fixing it all. And it was just like a huge win. So terrible experience, but so nice to know that he had those people on the side. Um, But I don't think I want to go that route. So I am looking at a few names for just the longer terms of the commercial insurance. I think that is something to look into. We actually, uh, we actually do have that. We have uh, insurance through a company called proper. Uh, oh, okay. I've heard they, good things about proper. Yeah, and they do short-term. Uh, it's a hybrid homeowner's insurance for our primary residents. And then uh, it's uh, got the short-term rental contract. And uh, and they'll cover, if we get shut down for any reason, they'll cover our, our lost uh, income as well. So, uh, but that was so obviously- So that was after? after. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You were like, wow, yeah. let's look at insurance. Yeah. yeah. The only thing I can say about proper, I've talked to them a lot. I think they're awesome is that if you have an older home, they have some restrictions about they want additional inspections on the home. And that has been like a stopgap for me. Some of my homes are a hundred years old and they function perfectly, you know, but they want certain things checked off the list about the electrical system and the box. And some of that is so expensive to update that it, because it functions, we don't do it, you know, and it's not a fire hazard, but they do have a lot of particularities that I don't think other companies have. So yeah, I'm still on the hunt. All right. So if you could go back in time and reset and do all of this all over again, would there be anything that you would do differently? I mean, obviously allowing for, I know you've said like you don't do things the same way that you do before, like you did before because of the different market, but 
if it was the same yeah. as back then? <laughs> I think now I've made this transition into realizing that like what I know about my life is that stress is not worth it. And so I, every time there's a new opportunity, every time there's a new client, I say, is this person going to be stressful or how am I feeling as I'm reading this email from this person or talking to him on, on the phone? Am I getting any like little red flags? Because I think at the beginning, I was so caught up in this idea of hitting a certain number and making a certain amount a month or something like that, that I was just like, yes, money, person, come on, let's add you to the train. Um, and I've had so many experiences that were not worth it. Clients come and go and houses come and go. But yeah, it's way better to like invest in a relationship with one person that you really like. So we have recently let go of a few places because it just was um, a huge energy set compared to the rest of the portfolio. And even booking channels, you know, we don't just use Airbnb, we use a few other channels. Um, some of them just don't function very well or are not very vacation rental friendly. So it just wasn't worth it. And so I think just trimming that kind of stuff, I probably like wouldn't have done it before if I had listened to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All your intuition. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want you to imagine that you're standing in a room full of uh, people who are possibly contemplating getting into real estate and they have a family, a full-time job. And what are two or three strategies that you would recommend for them to focus on that would maybe help them ensure success? I would say be really clear about your goal because I think it's really easy to get swept up and think that you just need more and more. When you're making this transition, if you go, okay, I want X amount of money and work back, then that means, oh, I only need three clients. Okay, where am I going to find those clients? I think that that makes it so much easier to let go of your job or to like transition to part-time or to, you know, decide that you're going to stay home and let one person work or however you're going to make that transition. But I think when you have like no clear goals and you don't know how much you need and like what you live on, what your budgets are, it can seem very daunting. And actually this business makes it pretty simple. So you don't need a lot. You just need to know where you're trying to go. Yeah. We're, big, that's, we're um, big believers in, in beginning with the end in mind. What do you want your life to look like? Um, yeah. You've sort of got this up and running because the life of a house flipper is very different from somebody who does short-term rentals. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Anything else? Awesome. No, I don't think so. No. Well, Ziana, it's been really, really great. Um, oh, good. If any, our, if any of our guests want to reach out to you, what's the best way that they can contact you? Um, my website's the best way. It's ZianaMcIntyre.com. I imagine you guys can put it in the show notes for me. Yeah. 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 Um, and there's a blog on there, and I have a bunch of resources about um, different softwares that I really like and books that I've read. So um, people can email me there, and I'm pretty responsive. Okay. And you also, you said, you mentioned you also do some consulting for people. Yeah, I do one-on-one -on -one consulting for people wanting to get into real estate, wanting to just um, figure out their financial future, learn about early retirement, um, and people that are building Airbnb businesses, whether it's them doing it or if they're co-hosting someone else's. So yeah, I tailor it completely to the person. And I offered your guys' listeners a discount if they want to do one of those with me. Yeah, they're really fun. Awesome. Right. We'll have all that in the show notes. Yep. Cool. All right, Ziana, thanks. Thank you so much.
You can find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for at Road to Family Freedom. 